welcome to the Echo Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. So let's stand to our feet and welcome Lee Box because she's amazing. Morning, church. Here we go. I'm going to get straight into it. The passages for today's sermon is the Old Testament. Read it. All right, specifically Samuel. I love Samuel too. So back history, and this is a two-minute back history, so obviously there's a lot more I could say, a lot more that you could say, but two-minute back history. We have the Israelites. This is God's people. He's making them his nation. This is his plan. He's protecting. He's looking after. This is him. So he gets Moses. He gets the Israelites out of captivity, out of slavery, you know, does some amazing things, cross the Red, um, you know, Sea. Um, I was going to say desert island. No, no, no. What's the word? Red Sea. Um, You know, does some more cool things. Justin's telling me to slow down. Um, Does some more cool things. They end up in the promised land, and in the promised land, um, they have a whinge. Well, let's be honest, they have multiple whinges, but they're saying, we want a king, not you king, a man king. Now, this is God's people. He has protected, he has provided, he has seen, brought them into freedom. He's been the best king out of all of them. And they turn around and say, we want a man-king like all the other nations. Silly people. (laughs) So anyway, God gives in. And Samuel anoints Saul. Yeah, sorry. Samuel, Samuel, um, you know, Saul's it. Saul's the man. So we've gotten now Saul. I'm going to focus on Saul for two minutes. We've got Saul, who goes from being an everyday Joe Blow to now royalty. That's the same as me saying Albert's now the king of Australia. He goes from being our everyday Albert who is amazing to now the whole world is recognising him as king. Like this is huge. This isn't an insignificant moment in time for a human being. This is massive. So Saul um, spends the first part doing the things God would do. Like he's listening to the prophets, he's leading out of, um, out of his relationship with the Lord. He's doing the things God would do. But after a few years' time, he starts to listen to the wrong voices, the wrong people. He's now listening to the witches and not the prophets. He's now making wrong choices. He's not really taking God's people and God's nation on the road that God had intended them to go on. So the people start to turn on him. You know, in the beginning, yes, all. And now they're like, uh. (laughs) Obviously, I'm paraphrasing. So then Goliath comes. And we all know this story. David kills Goliath. So now, like, everyone's like, David. So Saul's like, all right, well, everyone loves you. So if I attach you to me, everyone's going to love me again. To the point where David now lives in Saul's house and doesn't go back to his family ever again. So Saul's now riding on the toe of David. Let's bring in another character, Jonathan. Jonathan, Saul's son. You've got to understand, in the moment Saul, Albert, (laughs) becomes king, 
His children, who were just average Joe Blow children, are now royalty. So not only has Saul's life drastically changed, his whole family's life. Have you ever thought about this? I hadn't. Thought about the the massive impact this one decision, this one anointing of Saul, the repercussions of the whole family. You can look at the royal family. Not everyone is built for that kind of pressure. So you've got Jonathan now. He's now next as Saul's son. Like, like they passed down from generation to generation. So here's David. I mean, sorry, and I might accidentally say the wrong names here. Here's Jonathan, the son of Saul, like the future king. He's in the picture, thrust in. So he's watched his dad step into this role. His dad, everyone loving him. Yeah, Saul. So he's watched this and then he's watched how everyone turned on him how his popularity declined. And this is his dad. If you had a go at my dad, like, that's my dad. And Jonathan's watching how the nation of Israel is treating his family and his father. And so David comes in the picture. And here's what Jonathan does. We know that they have a beautiful relationship. And I'm sorry, I don't have the reference. It's in Samuel. Saul takes off, sorry, Jonathan takes off his royal robe and puts it on David. He gives him his bow and his sword. He gives him his title. He sees on David what maybe others haven't seen yet. He sees on David that you are going to be the next king to the point where he takes it off himself and gives it to him. This is huge. This is meant to be his future. He's meant to take over and he sees that David is the intended. By position, it's meant to be Jonathan, but by by God's anointing, it's David. So he takes it off and gives it to David and they become best friends, brothers. The closest of allies is Jonathan and David. Talk about friendship, read it in that story and it will not get any better. So they do great exploits together. And then David, I'm going to look at my notes because I don't want to forget things. I always forget things. Yeah, that's all right. Ah. Then David says to Jonathan, I think your dad hates me. I think I've fallen out of his good graces. I think he doesn't trust me. In fact, I think he's trying to kill me. Imagine saying that to your best friend about their dad. That's like not an easy conversation, I'd imagine. And Jonathan goes, what makes you say this? Obviously, I'm paraphrasing. What makes you... And Dave's like, oh, he's throwing spears at me. (laughs) And then the two of them are like, oh, maybe he's not trying to kill me. Maybe he'll shoot... You know, they're back and forth trying to figure out, is he trying to kill him or not? Talk about believing the best in someone. (laughs) So then they decide to set a trap... And then they find out, yes, Saul is trying to kill David. So then I'm going to read, what am I reading here? 1 Samuel 20, where Saul says, you know, uh, sorry, Jonathan says to David, if my dad is trying to kill you, I'll send you warning. If he's not, I won't. Again, super short. 
1 Samuel 20, verse 14, this is um, Jonathan to David. But show me unfailing kindness like the Lord's kindness as long as I live, so that I may not be killed and do not ever cut off your kindness from my family. Skipping down, and Jonathan um, had David reaffirm this oath out of love for him because he loved him as much as he loved himself. So the two of them at this point in time, they make this covenant, this oath, this vow that I'm going to love and show kindness to you and your family. So David goes off, you know, runs away so he doesn't kill his life. And, you know, we know the stories and I can, I can bring up heaps. But, you know, David had the opportunity to kill Saul. Why didn't he? Because he made a promise, I'm going to show kindness to your family, to Jonathan. And time and time again, David had opportunity to, to be rude and mean, but time and time again, he showed kindness. Anyway, after time goes by, Jonathan and Saul die in battle. And David, after time, becomes king. Now, five years before this happens, Jonathan has a son. And his son's name is Meshibbethef. Oh, now I've done it! Meshibbethef. Oh, my God. Can Mephibosheth, thank you. I haven't stuffed it all week. Now, last week, Justin spoke on Mephibosheth, and it was brilliant. And you may not have seen, you wouldn't have seen, because I'm in the front and you're only looking at the back of my head. But as he's preaching, I'm sitting in the front row with the biggest smile on my face, and in my head, I'm saying, and I'm going to say it, crap. Because that's my sermon for next week. So I am so happy on the outside and freaking out on the inside. What you don't know and what Justin didn't know at that point in time is two weeks prior, my mum sent me a message. Lee, you have to hear this sermon from your brother, Matt. It's the best sermon ever. Now, she says that about all of our preaching. So, you know, you've got to take that with a grain of salt. But uh, yeah, send it through. I'll listen to it. And I listened to the sermon. Now, my brother Matt is doing incredible things for God's kingdom in Hillsville. He pastors the Anglican church there. And he's a phenomenal good Bible teacher. And if you want the message, hear it. I'll text it through to you. He preaches this sermon on Mephibosheth. He actually cries in it and he edits his crying out. So you don't really hear it. You hear him. But if you know my brother Matt, he doesn't cry. I actually don't think I've seen him cry. I was trying to look through our childhood going... I'm like, I can't recall a time he cried. So I'm listening to this message and I'm pulling my eyes out because I can hear the emotion in his voice and he's touching on some nerves. It's phenomenal. And I call him up, I said, Matt, the chances of me getting you to preach that sermon in our church is slim to none, so can I steal it and preach it at church? And he said, and I said, I'll give you the, I'll give you the you know, recognition. And he goes, um, you can preach it. Don't give me the recognition. Again, that's him. Because we're very different. And you'll say things that I didn't say. And you'll make it yours. Like, yeah, yeah. Very true. So this has happened. And Justin has no idea. So Sunday morning, he has a note go off in his reminder. Because Monday, Justin and I talk. Well, we talk every day. But <laughs> Monday, we talked about this. And uh, Sunday morning, he woke up to come early to just finalise this message and it had the big question mark, do I talk on Mephibosheth or not? Question mark. 
and he felt to do it. Three question marks, and he felt to do it. So I'm sitting in church hearing this message going, what do I do, God, all week? What am I doing? What am I doing? What am I doing? God's like, you've been working on your message. You preached the message. I told you to preach the message. So we're hearing about Mephibosheth again today. I'm not going to focus on the areas that Justin focused on because, um, well, you heard them last week, and if you didn't hear it, go back and listen to it. It was phenomenal. And he, 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 he spoke about areas that he'll, he spoke far better than I could. So I'm going to focus on some different parts. Mephibosheth. Does anyone know what his name means? Oh, Dispeller of shame, to cause to disappear shame, exterminator of shame, the end of shame. Wow. Here we go. So you've got Jonathan who's grown up under Saul, who has seen Saul, his dad, become king, who has then seen the people Saul make great choices, then make horrifically bad choices, and the shame that's come upon his whole family. So Jonathan has witnessed firsthand everything that's gone on in his family's life, in the people's lives, the, the bad decisions, the bad leadership that his dad has had, the, the, the murder that his dad has gone after, all of that. He has seen it all and he's feeling shameful. So he decides to name his son the end of all shame. The end of all shame. Can you imagine as he's growing up, people saying, Mephibosheth, come eat dinner. They're saying to end all shame, come and eat dinner. Everyone knows what his name means. Everyone. So when they're saying his name, they're saying the ender of shame, come here. The ender of shame, do this. The ender of shame, do that. You've got to understand, Mephibosheth is five when his dad and granddad died. Like Judy's four and a half. So he's fully aware of what his name means. He's fully aware of what's going on. He is fully aware. We're not talking about a newborn baby here. We are talking about a five-year-old. That's in between Bella and Jude. Jeepers, if he was like Bella, wow. Smart. So is Jude. So he's at a very um, great age of understanding. And so his name meaning to end all shame and he's living in the palace. He's living with royalty. He's living with riches. He's living with abundance. He's not struggling in life. He's not struggling for a meal. He's not struggling for clothing. He's not struggling for clean water. He has it in abundance. To end all shame has it in abundance. And his life goes from one thing to another in an instant. So even though Jonathan saw David as the future king, it doesn't mean anyone else recognised that. Saul tried to kill him. And so you've got Saul and Jonathan have died and Mephibosheth's nanny decides to pick him up out of fear. I'm not going to hone in on fear. Justin did that brilliant last week. But he picked him up out of fear and run away with him. What the nanny, I don't understand and I've got no answer for you today, but why on earth did she run away with the future king? Mephibosheth was next in line. He's the son of the king. Why is, he, why is she running him away to hide him when he should have the throne? 
Just because Jonathan saw it to David doesn't mean that that's what the palace saw. Just a side question. I have no idea other than fear crippled them. And so she grabs Mephibosheth and goes as far away as she can to Lodabar. Lodabar, what does Lodabar mean? No word, no communication, no pasture, no fruitful living, nothing dead. So here's Mephibosheth, a five-year-old healthy little boy living in a palace with an abundance of everything, needing nothing, to now being crippled, unable to walk, living in a place where there's no pasture, no life, no nothing. Five-year-olds would comprehend this. He's gone from having his name meaning to end all shame to now living in a place covered in shame. Lodabar. After time passes, 15 to 20 years passes, David remembers his promise to Jonathan. So Mephibosheth is living in no pasture, no fruitful land for 15 to 20 years. He's now a 20 to 25 year old. David remembers his covenant and his vow to Jonathan. So then that brings us to 2 Samuel chapter 9, which Justin read from last week. David asked, is there anyone still left of the house of Saul in whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba. They summoned him to appear before David and the king said to him, are you Ziba? At your service, he replied. The king asked, is there one left still in the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? Ziba answered the king, there is still a son of Jonathan. He is lame in both feet. Where is he? The king replied. Ziba answered, he is at the house of Macariah, son of Nin in Lodabar. So King David had him brought to Lodabar from the house of Nir. <laughs> Two things I want to say. If we're people of God, we need to keep our word. Right. It doesn't matter if it's 15, minute, 15, 20 years later. If you say you're going to do something, do it. And if you don't intend doing it, don't say it. I remember 20 years ago, roughly, I was telling um, Flora Mark this at Youth the other week. I told someone I would pray for them. And see, usually when I say I'll pray for you, I do it straight away because I can sometimes forget. I'm sorry. And so someone asked for prayer and I said they had some, uh, an event and I said, I'll be praying for you. And I'd forgotten. And I was with my friend at the time and I said, I forgot to pray. And I was feeling bad because I said I would. And then both of us went, hang on a minute, God's not bound by time. We are, he lives outside of time, so let's pray now. Because even the event has happened, already happened, God doesn't work in my time schedule, so I'm going to pray now. I don't know if it's theological or not, but it felt so good at the time. 
And so I prayed and a few days later they actually contacted me. This was the great thanks for praying. I'm like, <laughs> let's keep our word. First side thought. Second side thought, Ziva doesn't even say his name. Justin mentioned this last week. He doesn't even say his name. He says it, that he's a cripple. Two things in this story that you've really got to know about the, the time, which Justin did one of them was, if you were a descendant of the king and a new king came up, they killed the entire family. Why? Because they can take over, come after the kingship again. So everyone was killed. I know, a bit morbid. So Zeba, David should be killing Mephibosheth, purely on the fact that he's his enemy's son, Saul's son, grandson. The second thing you need to know about this story is people with a disability were hidden away. We're not welcomed in society to the point where they were not associated with someone in authority, royalty, or someone of notability. So not only is David breaking protocol on the, that's my enemy's grandson who can come after my throne, he's also breaking protocol in the, he is a cripple. He has disabilities. They are not allowed in society. This is massive for David to override. So when Zeba says he's a cripple, he's not being mean. Maybe he is, I don't know. But he's saying it as a fact because you can't associate with someone with a disability. You can't associate with someone who can't walk, who's a cripple. Zeba is telling David out of information to say, you're not allowed near him. He's meant to be tucked away, hidden, not welcome in society. And if it wasn't for the fact of time and I'll cry, I could go into this even more. And I'd like to say as a society, we've come a long way, but you just look at Iceland and what they're doing there. And it's horrific. Killing unborn babies because they have disabilities. And rejoicing in the fact that we're wiping out disabilities. David takes this fact and what does he say? Go and get him. Bring him here so I can show him kindness for Jonathan's sake. I don't care that he's my enemy's grandson and I don't care that he's a cripple. You go bring him here now. Lodabar, Justin looked this up for me, is about 147 kilometres away from Jerusalem. Now, when I go for a walk, I walk fast. Well, I don't think it's that fast, actually. Probably you walk faster, but I've got shorter legs. I walk about one kilometre every 10 minutes. So 147 kilometres would take me roughly 24 hours. Now, back in that day and age, it's 147 kilometres now, and there's roads. Back then, there's not roads, it's terrain. And so Zeba had to get Mephibosheth 
147 plus kilometres on bad road as a cripple from Lodabar to Jerusalem. It's not like it's 10 minutes down the road. And all I can think of is what is happening in Mephibosheth's head for this 147 kilometre road walk. Because he knows, A, I'm the enemy's grandson, I deserve to die. B, I'm a cripple and I'm not allowed in the sight of royalty. And he's there on this walk for 147 kilometres. And I reckon if his legs worked, he would have ran the other way. But he's there. The man who's to end all shame, riddled with shame. On the way to see the king. Riddled with shame on the way to see the king. He sees David and he uses the words, I'm just a dead dog. Like talk about the lowest of the low. This is how he sees me. So when people are saying Mephibosheth, they're saying to end all shame and he's just scratched up. Full of it. And so David's there and David gives him, he gets to David. You know, he's bowing low. Justin again, brilliant last week. But David restores to him all of Saul's land. And I had the stats, I didn't write them, so I'm not going to make them up. But since David became king, the land prospered multiply. Like, the land, everything was far better under David's reign than Saul's, significantly better. So David goes to Mephibosheth. I'm giving you back your grandfather's land, your grandfather, like I'm returning, I'm restoring what is rightfully yours to you. And you've got Ziba and his family and his servants, they're going to attend to your land. And so there he is, David's giving Mephibosheth restoration. Mephibosheth, who's riddled with shame, restoration. And then David says, but there's one thing I ask. I'm going to read it. Don't be afraid. So, I'll restore you all your land belong to your father. Um, and you will always eat at my table. One thing. I'm restoring you all the land. It's not because he had no food there. It's not because he didn't have cooks. It's not like he, didn't, he was going to starve on Saul's land. It was plentiful and fruitful. But he goes, that's restoring, but I'm asking one thing. You eat at my table with me. You come and eat at my table with me. So every day, Mephibosheth eats at David's table. I can only imagine what it was like the first time he's sitting there. Now, now you've got to think, again, royalty. David is king, royalty. Not anyone gets an invite to the family table. It's family and occasionally maybe a friend or a, like someone important. And it was today's day and age, I'd be taking selfies. Like, this is a big deal. And so I can only imagine what Mephibosheth was like sitting at the table the first time with David and his family. And they're all probably like any normal family, joking around, you know, telling jokes, teasing banter, like any normal family does, my family does. And here's Mephibosheth viewing himself like a dead dog, but his name, when they say it, means to end all shame. He is sitting there eating his meal. 
I can only imagine what the first time was like and then the next day and the next day and then the month goes past and the months go past and the years go past and David's got more children and they're joining the mix. And he's starting to banter and tell jokes and he's getting in on the action because at the table, at the king's table is restoration. At the king's table is restoration. You gotta take it from this, um, let's pretend this is a dining table and the chair, this is gonna look really odd. But if you're crippled sitting at a table, what do you see? You're getting this picture. What do you see? My legs are shaking, I'm so unfit. <laughs> I can't do that anymore. But what do you see? You don't see a disability. You see the waist up. Mephibosheth, his disability is covered. It's no more. It's gone. It's out of sight. At the table with the king and the family is healing. So they start saying Mephibosheth and he's sitting there like anyone else, the same as anyone else. And when they're saying his name, he's actually able to live out his name, the end of all shame. When he's at the table, he's not there worrying about what he looks like because no one can see. He's there living his life with the king and the family. Family covers People's hurts, brokenness. Family protects. Family looks out. Family encourages and speaks life. And here's Mephibosheth sitting at the king's family table experiencing the very thing that was spoken over his life. What his dad first intended him to be is now being fulfilled. He becomes his name. He goes from having no pasture to plentiful. He goes from having nothing to everything. We are to remove shame from people. When people come and sit at our table, we're to remove shame. Did Mephibosheth deserve this? No. No, he didn't. He deserved death. That's what he deserved. But because of his father, Jonathan, He got kindness. Sounds a bit like another king I know. My King Jesus. Do I deserve this life? Because of what Jesus did, absolutely. It wasn't because Mephibosheth did anything It was because of what Jonathan did. It's not because I do anything. It's because Jesus did. Tash, can you jump up on keys?
The reality is, the punchline of this is, you and I are Mephibosheth. That's us. That's us. We were once in darkness and now we're sitting at the table of the king. Restored in every way. Restored in every way. How he sees you is with nothing wrong, nothing broken. How he sees you, every word spoken over you, every promise spoken over you, that is your life. Over the last couple of weeks, we've heard some phenomenal messages with identity. This is a big deal. You knowing what is truly yours, what was restored to you at the cross, what was restored to you when you said yes to Jesus, it is a big deal. You and I are Mephibosheth. So you look at this story. Shame gone. I am the ender of all shame. For the people around me. Wow. You and I, that's our calling. Bring people to the table. I can't help how amazing our God is. Kylie has no idea about what I'm about to say here. David goes on living his life. Wait for this, Kylie. Goes on living his life. And then in Psalms. I can't help but think in Psalms. When David puts pen to paper and he says, you prepare a table before me. I can't help but think that he's got Mephibosheth's picture in his head where he's saying, God, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And as he's writing this, the picture of what he did for Mephibosheth is the exact thing that he's receiving and acknowledging from our King of Kings, from our King. It's no coincidence that he did that for Mephibosheth. And now he's there saying, God, you prepare the table for me. You prepare it for me. You show me kindness and love. Over my life, this is what you do for me. Mephibosheth was a picture of what you're doing over my life. And I receive it. And I'm going to dwell in your house forever. Because that's where I belong. I'm going to sit at your table forever. Because that's where I belong. Sometimes, 
let me take that back. This year's theme was sent ones. And this week, Justin did this. And, you know, we're having incredible conversations with people about Jesus. And we don't go in and talk about your sin. You're no good. You're a disappointment. You're unforgivable. But always his kindness and love. Always. And when we understand we are Mephibosheth, And we get to sit here and go, we are at the table with the King of Kings. And now I get to tell others about this story, about this kindness, about this love. And see others go from living in a land with no pasture and no fruit, living in darkness and encountering the kindness and love of our Saviour, not because of what we've done, but because of what He has done. How good is our God? Let's all stand, church.